on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. back with an all-new quarantine edition of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Virus Vertel. <laughs> I'm Aida Osman patching in from home. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just so you all know, we did brave coming into Crooked Media to record this podcast, um, except for Aida, because she's sick. So she's staying yeah, home. Yeah, sick and... Uh, <laughs> Lewis and I are also a very safe distance from each other, but we do that every week. Right. Yeah, no. they always sit that far apart. This is how I protect myself, you understand. Yes. Um, no, but we are like feet from each other. When we're in the big studio at Crooked, it's always shocking how far away you are from the people you're allegedly having a close mm-hmm. conversation with while you're here. So anyway, if the dynamic is off, blame it on that. It's because Tommy, John, and John hate each other. No, right. Oh, we can't just say that on air. Well... <laughs> I think that we can pick that up in their voices in the podcast. That's true. We sure can. Well, John Lovett drives the wedge with those Zumba pants of his. <laughs> oh, no. We are here, you know, um, surviving, doing things. Um, what have y'all been up to this past week? Well, I am getting used to the fact that I am definitely 100% an extrovert. Like, as I sit here talking to you, I realize... How much of myself I am not while I am sitting in captivity? Uh, the amount of Instagram lives I've been doing yeah. have revealed the yes. same to me. No, yep. exactly. No, we all are suddenly Clarissa, <laughs> needing to explain the whole situation to everybody constantly. Like, hey, ask me questions. What? Sure. Uh, and sure. I don't mean this. A lot of my, I think a lot of my personality has been received, like per- performing in any way. And even if that means conversationally, and now that I don't have anyone to do that with, I don't know who I am. Mm. Right. No, I feel the same way. I'm regaining my identity as I sit here and speak. Because there are times when you realize, oh, wait, I haven't heard myself talk in eight hours. Oh, now it's 10 hours. You know, yeah. like I value my last few potentially Starbucks interactions for that reason. Like, oh, I, I heard myself say coffee. So you're still going to Starbucks. I go at hours when I think nobody else will be there, and it's actually worked out for me. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. You I think- might head to Starbucks later today. Well, what have I been doing? I, I'm still watching Alex Garland movies. Okay. I just watched Annihilation. Annihilation blew my mind. Annihilation is great. Yeah, but I didn't even mean to. I think I was just on the flow of watching one-word movies that start with an A. I watched Adaptation. Oh, amazing movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, these are weirdly related, and it's very much so about... This kind of like biological and evolution, it they were they were linked on accident. But I wonder how much Alex Garland was a fan of Charlie Kaufman or something like that. But yeah, so I'm just I'm just trying to watch movies and catch up. I know who Tim Roth is now. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> I'm learning a lot. 
An education starring Aida. One hundred percent. Annihilation. I actually did not love that movie. Well, first of all, controversially, from a gay perspective, I'm not a Natalie Portman stan. She doesn't pick projects that are particularly interesting to me. That's just the life I live. Where is the taste? I know. Once I'm... again, Louis Vuitton. <laughs> and also, constitutionally, I am a fan of Jennifer Jason Lee, and I find her bad in that movie. Mm. She was so dry in that movie, and I know that that was her character's affect, but it really didn't feel correct. Like yes. it didn't feel like the right choice. I would say that about Gina Rodriguez and who else was in the movie? Tessa Thompson too. Like the characters just felt not fully formed. But mm-hmm. other I liked the storyline. The plot was really good. Where it goes is twisted and warped enough, but I had a friend who told me in the middle of last year that Gina Rodriguez would be nominated for an Oscar for that. I apparently just have demented friends because she's in it for what, like thirteen minutes altogether? <laughs> I know who you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. And that was insane at the time. Yeah. And insane in retrospect. No, we knew it. I knew how it would be, I would count it. Uh, Can you imagine that Oscar speech? <laughs> <laughs> Hit it, Ira. Hit it. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been um, consuming this week, Lewis? Well, first of all, I find myself strangely um, having a lot of faith in what Amazon Prime just throws at me. I'm surprised to be so um, submissive to mm-hmm. Amazon Prime. They throw things at me and I just watch them. Their algorithm is, I, I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah, because it'll be like, watch this. And it, it doesn't even have the same level of Netflix where it seems to have creepily known what I'm into. Yeah. Like Amazon Prime is just like, here's a movie from 1984 that is on our database. Right, exactly. They're, maybe the shock value of it is supposed to woo me. Yeah. But for example, one movie they threw at me was The Last Waltz, which is a documentary, a music documentary about the band, The Band, when they broke up uh, ceremoniously in 1976. And they put on one last concert where all of their friends showed up and their friends are Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell and Mavis Staples and legend, legend, Neil Young. Mm. And uh, it's maybe the most legendary music documentary of all time. Well, I mean, my favorite documentary about the band is uh, Making the Band Season 2. Oh, right. Th- yes, oh, the same. The band. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now, nothing about this movie is something I would want to watch. There, there's no female protagonist. I mean, th- the biggest female star in it is Joni Mitchell, and she has one song from, I'll say it, um, her most off-the-rails, well, not most off-the-rails album, just an album I don't listen to. But the one with the blackface cover? That album is right after this one. Okay. Yeah. But it was edifying to watch it. I wouldn't have watched it under any other circumstances, really. And that, I hope, is a blueprint for how I handle the rest of this quarantine is, all right, watch things you wouldn't have had time for otherwise. And there are a mm-hmm. couple of other things I've watched. I watched this movie, Farewell, My Lovely, which is a Raymond Chandler detective adaptation from the mid-70s that is Note for note, exactly what you expect it to be with a supporting performance from a baddie old woman that got nominated for a a supporting actress Oscar, Sylvia Miles. I miss when we nominated more people like that, like disheveled women who talk about their drunken heyday. I need more roles like that. (laughs) Helen Hazen, Airport, look these things up. Um, And then I rewatched Lady Bird. I think it's important to rewatch things too, validate in your mind the things you love. Of course. I want to watch that again. I definitely want to watch that one again. So speaking of Sylvia Miles, you know I watched... She Devil, <laughs> right? Oh my God, yes. we're connected on Sylvia Miles. Wow. Uh, I I watched She Devil and Death Becomes Her for the first time this week to finally educate myself and um, to solve this debate of which 
Meryl movie is better. These are both Meryl's Daffy comedies that she did in the late 80s and early 90s, that, which were okay, strictly... I, I remember she which are somehow, she I remember. Which I guess are just connected because of the time frame. Yeah. Because they have really nothing in common with one another. No. One is a very kind of a conventional romp, uh, yeah. She-Devil, and then Death Becomes Her is this twisted pseudo-inspection of our vanity, etc. It's Robert mm. Zemeckis doing White Almodovar. Sure. Yes. Uh, it is the grotesqueness. It is. It is lush. It's it's soap operatic as well. Uh, borrows a lot from the genre and just really just sort of has a sort of verve and like ambiance to it, which is fun. Um, she Devil, on the other hand, is abysmal. Yeah. Do you, but do you think <laughs> Meryl is good in it? I think Meryl is good in it, but I think she's better in Death Becomes. I her. disagree. I think Meryl is more. Okay. Here, here's the deal with the movie She Devil. It has no jokes in it, by the way. Oh, yeah. no. I know it's you all... said that Death Becomes Her has like five memorable lines, which I disagree with because I was laughing at every line in it. She-Devil really has no jokes in it. It's like no comedy writer was working on that script. It's just matter-of-fact lines. Well, the weird thing about She-Devil is that it's a movie starring Roseanne, who, of course, was just beginning her sitcom at the time. And it's a role that seems written for her. Like, she's this resentful, like, downtrodden, everyday suburban woman. But she's also bad. So it's the lead performance is all wrong, which sets that movie on the wrong track. And she gives voiceover, and it's so monotonous and awful. Yeah, right. It's very strange. Um, But... Meryl is playing such a broad comic role that, by the way, could have gone to any number of actresses of that time. It could have been a Bette Midler role. It could have been a Lily Tomlin role, whatever. But she proves that when she wants to, she dips into her, like, Marx Brothers level mm-hmm. broad comedy bag and can dominate on that level, too. I just think it's a movie that's essential to understanding Meryl Streep. And well, it's the, her the, first comedy role. It's from the director who did Desperately Seeking Susan, which is a shocker to me because that's an actual good movie. <laughs> uh, well, you were really wronged by this. Yes, and um, I just think that after her first comedy role where she like really goes for gusto at it, I think that she just improves on it and death becomes her. That makes- and I think Goldie Hawn gives her more... And Bruce Willis give her more to play against than Ed Begley Jr. Yeah. in um, She-Devil, who is generally great, but like it has nothing to do in this movie. And also, Roseanne and Meryl Streep, for a poster that makes you think that like they're versus each other over him, they never interact in the movie. That's true. So that's another problem with it. Wow. Uh, I was crying, by the way. Linda Hunt was Yeah, I was going to say, guys, this is getting very deep. <laughs> Are you guys only watching movies? Is this what's going on? Yeah. Since we've been locked up, have you been watching movies obsessively too? I've been watching movies. I watched The End of the Century last night too for the first time. I'm trying to consume TV shows, but something about that feels like it's unending and I need large things to consume right now. I just think the nature of what I'm consuming is an interesting thing to talk about as well. One, I watch a lot of TV in general and I feel like it's just so unending. I mean, I am currently watching Twin Peaks for the first time, which only has two seasons. And then there's the return. So, like, that at mm-hmm. least feels more finite. But, like, sitting down to watch a seven-season, eight-season show, for me, feels like we're never leaving our houses, ever. It feels goofy, yeah. And Joel Kim Booster tweeted for us to watch The Good Wife. And you guys had talked about it on the last podcast, so I was going to start it. But now that feels like a hopeless endeavor. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make it through. No, I actually totally agree. I just want things to end. I mean, it's nice to feel like you've accomplished something, right? Like gotten to the end of something. Yeah. Whereas if you go through this whole quarantine process and only watch eight seasons of a TV show, even one what did you do? where Juliana Margulies is smirking at you the whole time. I just feel like you feel under-accomplished. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. And for me, like Twin Peaks feels like it. It the two seasons like were very complete because it was canceled. Yeah. So it feels like I can at least accomplish that and get my TV fixed, but also tap into this David Lynch part of history that has been a boughten spot forever. Um, yeah. And obviously, as a fan of soap operas, Twin Peaks is excellent. Having watched so many things, quote unquote, inspired by Twin Peaks, I feel like people only ever picked up on the kookiness and the weirdness when they replicate it. And I have yet to really see something that like explores like the the humanity crime, of that actual humanity show, yeah. or like soap melodrama Cirque sort mm-hmm. of um, vibe of Twin Peaks. Like no one goes for that. They always go for like. Here's a premonition, or here's like a character dancing weird. And yeah, I'm like, that's not the show. Right, right. There's it's an affect more to it. Uh, that that reminds me, and we'll kind of get into this when we talk about Fiona Apple. Something I love during this time is just becoming obsessed with celebrity interviews and Piper Laurie, who was mm-hmm. on that show in a very <laughs> interesting role. I just watched her interviews again and again and again. It's just I like locking into a personality and hearing their perspective on anything. So that to me is very comforting during a time like this. Just listening to somebody who knows what they're talking about and whose work you're a fan of. So I will uh, we'll get we'll get more into that during the Fiona Apple segment. But um, yeah, she in particular. Yeah, that's a smart suggestion. That is a smart suggestion. I've gone down a Bill Hader hole because I'm just so appreciative of between him and Fred Armisen and their ability to do impressions and funny voices and just be hysterical all the time you kind of get into this it's like having a friend when you watch all their interviews it's like it's doing a character study or a, per- a person study but it's like hanging out with them mm-hmm. you know I, I feel like um interviews are my version of podcast listening like i don't do it as much as i should yes. because i would rather just have one person yeah uh uh unspool and uh, uh, talk and talk and talk about their lives. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to get through this episode as best as we can, right? We have some voice memos sent in from listeners who are going to tell us what they are watching um, during their quarantine. So that should be fun. Hopefully. We'll see how cute your responses are. I can't guarantee it will be fun because I don't know what you said. (laughs) Um, And then we're going to talk about Everything in Hollywood closing during this coronavirus outbreak. And we're also going to dig into Emily Nussbaum's profile of Fiona Apple. Beautiful. Which I found very intriguing. Me too. All right. We'll be right back. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I 
effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. the surprise of no one, coronavirus came from movie theaters last week. Cinemas are entirely closed in 32 or more markets overseas and partially closed in another 15 territories. Theaters in New York and L.A. were closed by their mayors. And since the CDC recommends no gatherings of more than 50 people, more cities are expected to follow suit, which means that Marco Robbie is about to win for Birds of Prey. <laughs> um, Do not count out Betty Gilpin in the hunt. <laughs> no. Issa Rae in the photograph. Um, <laughs> and Elizabeth Moss in Invisible Man. The four performances we had this year will be nominated. Yes. Yes. And, this is such uh, a shame. I feel like they'll admit animated movies in this year, too. So, like, Will Smith, Spies in Disguise. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the Oscars should be four times a year, just anyway, to point out how ridiculous Quarters. our release scheduling is. Yeah. Yeah. It should be quarterly. I managed before quarantine happened to see The Hunt, actually. Uh, Still haven't oh, seen yeah. it. How was that? Yeah. I mean, it's been out for only a few days. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, at- but I really think, I mean, I'll, I'll do it for Emma and I'll do it for Invisible Man, but Universal is out their damn mind if they, they think I'm spending money on The Hunt. I'm really not. <laughs> was it good? I, I loved it. I thought that Betty Gilpin was great. Uh, uh, really gives sort of a visceral performance. Much, much different from Glow. So um, a versatile actress. Now tell me what that movie is exactly about. Because I, yeah. I sort of understand it. Okay, so these elites, uh, I don't want to ruin the twist so much, but mm-hmm. like these elites get conservatives who they think are like racist, homophobic, conspiracy theorists, and sort of gather them up and drop them in a field and start hunting them. Got it. Oh, and, wow. and let them get access to weapons and things, and then it goes awry. Betty Gilpin is one of those people. So we're in a, our own dystopia, but if you want to escape to another dystopia, go to yeah. that one. Okay, great. Yes. If you're trying to layer up on the sadness right now and the existential dread. It's actually just very funny. Thank God. Is it kind of like screwball-y or is it trying to give It's a, a bit screwball-y. There are some jokes that try to give some political commentary um, that sort of fall flat. I mean, I think if you pulled the politics out of the movie, it'd be even better. But um, I really enjoyed it. And the last half hour, the, last, the third act is just pure gay camp. Oh, all right. <laughs> yes. Unexpected. Well, it also sounds to me... In, in the initial description of it, it sounds to me like a Shirley Jackson short story, mm-hmm. you know, haunting and there's a theme. The but lottery. You're, you're, you're saying the best of it is not that. No. Yeah, got it. It also reminds me of The Most Dangerous Game by Richard Connell. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, that is 
that has been sort of a blueprint for so many people hunting people movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is weird to have one now, but I guess it's appropriate now. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I think it feels on theme. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I am excited to see at least the universal movies that are being released. Uh, I wish that they would be releasing, you know, like No Time to Die or Mulan, but I guess they really want to wait till people are back in theaters for that. I am sad to say that the first time this whole thing became quote unquote serious to me or like I might have to rearrange my life in some way was when I learned that No Time to Die would be delayed months and months. I was like, wait a minute, somebody knows something I don't. And Fast and Furious 9, a year. Something, that's when it hit oh, you. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's when it hit Louis Aina. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> this Bond movie's not coming out. Whew, this must be serious. Well, it just Getting means, real. it's one of those things where if, if they do that, that must mean, oh, people won't be going outside or to places. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. I think it's fair. Yeah, but speaking of people not going outside or to places, uh, we're not the only ones under quarantine at the moment. It yeah. is also our listeners who are practicing the social distancing, as it were. I'm starting to hate that phrase, by the way. I yeah. know. Well, it's the only, it's like one of those <laughs> things where it's definitely going to be word of the year or whatever, yeah. you know. Times word of the year. The person of the year is social distancing. And I've seen every instance uh, of a distance-related meme. I guess we'll be bringing back the movie Going the Distance soon, one of Drew Barrymore's more underrated performances. Maybe that's a good thing. (laughs) Or, I can go the distance. Yep, uh uh-huh. There's only like four things with distance in it. That's one of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We are breaking free of society. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) That was the Ariana song. I meant to reference Breaking Away, the movie, but... The faggot jumped out. (laughs) Anyway, um, we invited our listeners to send us in voice memos of what they were up to while they're stuck at home. So we're going to listen to a few. Our first one is from Caleb. Hi, this is Caleb calling from Nova Scotia. I'm currently self-isolating, and I'm actually watching Six Feet Under for the first time since high school. And I've got to say, it's one of the best TV series that I've ever seen in my life. I really wish that it got the same attention that something like The Wire or The Sopranos gets, because I think it's truly one of HBO's best shows start to finish, like season one to season five. It's awesome. So that is my recommendation. I'd love to hear what you guys think about the show if you've seen it already. Take it away, boys. I've never seen this have you not seen this aida not at all okay well first of all caleb i don't know what you're talking about because people didn't watch the wire when it was on (laughs) (laughs) people watched the wire in retrospect but i feel like six feet under got a slew of golden globes yes but i I think what he's saying is you are likely to be pressured to watch the wire now whereas six feet under as sort of an urgent viewing doesn't happen as much it's too gay it's too like soapy for some people i think also its impact or its legacy is mostly the insanity and brilliance of its finale as opposed to what actually happens during the show and Mm -hmm. i think people only have a vague sense of what the show is like they know where it takes place what's what's it about well so it's the fisher family their patriarch their father uh, runs a funeral home and he dies in a car crash in the opening of the pilot And Mm. the family sort of has to gather together um, and deal with this crisis. And basically the rest of the series is almost procedural-esque in that each episode starts with a death and a fade to white. And then they're planning that funeral each episode. Okay. So, it's you know, it's really just a family drama that's sort of like a little twisted and a a little Lynchian. 
um, little shades of Twin Peaks now that I've seen it. Um, and it is told through the device of they're running a funeral home. Right. Is Caleb correct? Should I and the other key Oh, it is one of it, it is one of the best fucking TV shows um that's okay. ever been on the air. And also it's such a good education and actors who go undiscussed, like James Cromwell, who we always talk about in the context of Babe. Uh, Farmer Hoggett is excellent on Six Feet Under. I don't talk about Babe that much. It holds up. (laughs) And by the way, it's short, which is what I love in a Best Picture nominee. Pig in the City is better. When people say that, I'm like, no, it's not. That movie is demented. Yeah. It does what the other girls aren't doing. No, it's people wanting to congratulate themselves for liking the movie that goes for something crazy and is half successful. It's just, it's a movie that's more interesting to to discuss than watch, if you ask me. But moving on, Rachel Griffiths, who's in this show, who was also on Brothers and Sisters, she uh, gave one of my favorite Oscar-nominated performances of the 90s. If you saw the movie Hillary and Jackie, which is about the cellist Jacqueline Dupre, who um, died of uh, MS... Uh, It's just a Mm. wonderful movie, and she plays opposite Emily Watson, who's just one of the great actresses, who's luckily had a big moment on Chernobyl recently. I would love to see a Hillary and Jackie about Hillary Clinton visited by the ghost of Yeah, I was going to say, that's that's where I thought you were going. (laughs) No, that does, when you you say the names Hillary and Jackie, it does feel like a loaded (laughs) title. (laughs) It's dripping with First Lady, yes. Yeah, or like Jackie Joyner Kersey. And um, Hillary, Hillary from the Cl- Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah, yes, yeah. Right. I mm-hmm. want to see that movie. Right. You'd get a lot of uh, amazing fingernails in that movie, I think. Yes, yes. Mm. The the cuticles would be popping. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's play another one. This one is from Julie. Hi, this is Julie from DC. The piece of culture I've been most excited to consume so far is definitely Harry Styles' Tiny Desk Concert. It's only 20 (gasps) minutes long, but if you watch it several times, you can kill a couple of hours. Ira, please don't tell me to keep it. First of all, first of all, DC shout out. Second of all, that was my keep it this week. (laughs) She really done just sweeped in and took my keep it. Her first time on the podcast. Wow. Look. Well, we don't often let our listeners join in, so to be Yeah, fair. so they can have this. I'll yeah. figure it out in the next 10 or 20 minutes. What am I keep- I'm sure I can find something to be mad about. What is your but- keep it? To, to little Harry Styles. No, my keep it was it was it was like a, a sarcastic keep it, you know, like it should be longer. I need it for my mental health, blah blah blah, you know. But I'm just really irritated that she beat me to it, but she's correct. That but, tiny desk is something to watch over and over again. However, I don't think it's out to the public yet. So maybe that's the keep it. Also, she only said for Ira not to tell her to keep it. She said nothing about you. So I think this is all oh, in true. <laughs> well, I, Ira, aren't you a Harry Styles fan? Yeah, I'm a, um, I'm a stylist. Are that, oh, is that what they're go. called? They might be called stylers, but I'm not in, I'm not in the know anymore. It could yeah. even be a hairstylist based on the wording stylist? of the word Harry. Mm, let's see Harry Styles on a remake of Shampoo. Mm. <laughs> no, we shouldn't. Actually, you know what? Yeah, no, I just silhouette-wise, he does have a Warren Beatty thing kind of going on at See? the moment. All right. See, um, I was going to say also though, uh, a friend and I were recently talking about how he joined Stevie Nicks on stage for that uh, cover of "Stop Dragging My Heart Around," which is one of the great Stevie Nicks solo songs. When she thought he was in NSYNC, which is fair. <laughs> Stevie Nicks is too busy hanging out in Sedona. Don't ask her about what Harry Styles is up to. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Julie, I love Harry Styles, so I'm not going to tell you to keep it. And I've not also, watched it yet, though. I, I, generally speaking, love Tiny Desk Concerts. I, I do, yeah. I, I've watched Amy Mann's a hundred times. Megan Thee Stallions is They're my amazing. recent favorite. 
Yeah. Meg Anderson Anderson Pox and Tyler the Creators are my two favorite performances. Oh, and T Pain. T Pain will floor you if you've seen that tiny desk. Yes, Tallahassee Pain. T Pain, by the way, <laughs> when he's doing his he seems so shocked to be there and so grateful for the opportunity. And then he sings and has everybody in the palm of his hand the whole time. It's a really, it's very notable. Uh, that's probably the most notable um, which, Tiny Desk definitive concert. Which is not safe at the moment. You should not be in the palm of anyone's hand. That's right. Stay alive. Uh-huh. 100%. Yeah. Good catch. Let's roll another one. And this one coming up is from Madison. Listen, American Idol is fire this season. Katy Perry is awesome. Survivor, also, come on, Boston Rob got voted off. Who couldn't watch Winners at War? I am positive with saying that American Idol is not fire this season. Well, here's the deal with American <laughs> Idol. It could, I think it could be fire. I watched it as recently as a se- two seasons ago. And just the fact is, the thing that American Idol is always trying to conquer is that the fervor over a star being born We've just experienced that now hundreds of times on various shows. That's been the format of of all reality TV for so long. We used to be waiting for a moment like this, yeah. and now we get a moment like <laughs> this every other week. Right. Yes, that's the problem. So <laughs> the, I, the marginal return is not high anymore. Now I don't care. Now I don't care at all. Also, I and just you don't, don't even have to win to do well. You just have to be on it, and we have to like you. Yeah, but at this point, like, not enough people are watching for you to even like do well if you've been on it. There's so many yeah. artists I feel like who I hear a song from them, I'm like, oh, they're really good, and someone's like, oh, they were like on The Voice. I'm like, really? None of us, that's not part of their narrative anymore. Not right. really for the general public. It's easy to forget, yeah. Um, speaking of Katy Perry, though, guys, I don't hate the song Never Worn White. Oh, I, I don't hate it. I think it's dreadful. And I, I love her. I love Katy Perry, but I just I don't that. enjoy that song. I think the chorus is shockingly memorable for being so volume level, drippy and slow. I think it wants to be an R&B song that's not sung by Katy Perry. This, which is how I feel about Genie in a Bottle, secretly an R&B song that should have been sung by Tony Braxton, even though I love Genie in a Bottle. Mm. <laughs> I'm, I haven't been a Katy Perry fan in a while. I have a hard time liking her music anymore. Oh, well, I, I like the last song. You're talking about Never Really Over? Yeah. I liked Small Talk too, written by Charlie Puth. Yeah. I mean, Charlie does what he has to do. He recently released on Instagram a quick cover of Mariah Carey where he, his voice kind of goes there to the old school Mariah place. And I just want to say that it sounds both good and terrifying. Why can he do that? It's not a comfortable listen for me. Because Charlie Puth is the moment. He's not, though. People aren't really into him, even though he is supremely talented. I love him. I would lick that blade in his eyebrow. Okay, great. I can't oh, believe no. you said that. Sh- should I leave the studio really fast or like Bye. supersonically I'm fast? hanging up. Not, not the Charlie Puth eyebrow scar. No. Not, not currently during the coronavirus scare. Although, <laughs> I, honestly, I would be quarantined with Charlie Puth. No one asked. I mean, you're, you're, you're answering a oh, problem that Lord. no one has posed. Okay, well... Charlie. Well, there's my thing with Charlie. Charlie's hot. He's hot. He really is. But he's that pop machine. And he knows it, too. And he's vocal about it. That's I think that's why he lacks charisma to us. Oh, you find him a little overly cocky in the in how he d- displays his talent? I feel like yeah. he's a lot like Lewis. In what way? Well, I mean... We're both scathingly hot. That I understand. Uh, no, I would say that the way that he knows pop music like inside and out is almost sort of you know like robotic in the way that mm-hmm. you sort of like know like facts and like culture and things because like he can tell you a certain songs 
chords or why a song was popular or like he just knows that information about music and then he turns it into his music you know his music weirdly feels less his music he's got big berkeley kid energy yeah his music is good and great even but i would never describe his music as overly emotional because it feels like he is putting out code yeah coming from the place of an algorithm actually unfortunately i have to agree with everything you just said Mm -hmm. he he is the sense of somebody who knows what he's talking about, knows pop music. Yeah, I love him. Let's move right along. Did you guys notice that you mentioned Boston Rob from Survivor? Oh, uh, that's right. Yes. I, are you watching this season? Survivor this season is no. excellent. You're watching it this season? Yes, it's excellent. Uh, and if anybody is a week behind on Survivor, I don't know why, because you haven't had anywhere to go. And right, no two, excuse. Uh, <laughs> two, I didn't spoil it. She did. <laughs> but this is a fantastic season. Uh, and I've been really invigorated by um, Matt Rogers is starting Survivor for the first time. Uh, and he just watched uh, Game Changers on Instagram. Game spelled G-A-Y-M-E. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so um, he, p- people are getting into Survivor still. I enjoy that. Well, it's, it is a show where you can pop in every three years or seven years or whatever. And usually... It's worth it because it's a very consistent show, more than any other reality show. Usually it's worth it, and someone that you've seen from a previous season is probably back for like a redemption or an all-star yeah. or something like that. I love it. This season's delicious. Is Parv back? Yes, yeah, she is. Oh, okay, good. And Sandra. Oh, I love Sandra too. Queen stays the queen. And this one is from Micah. So my activity while social distancing is to watch all of the films in which Meryl Streep was nominated for uh, four movies in, it's already dark. I'm only 30 minutes into Out of Africa, and it's not going well. This movie is two years long, and I've been trying to encourage myself by saying, hey, Defending Your Life is coming up next, only to find out that she wasn't nominated for that. So it's dark. <laughs> wow. I mean, this person is speaking my national anthem right now. First of all, was that Gerald Levert? <laughs> That silky voice, Micah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I will say about watching Meryl Streep's nominated performances, if he's doing them sequentially, he's hit a couple that are more boring than they should be, namely the French Lieutenant's Woman, in which she and Jeremy Irons play period roles and then modern roles where they're actors playing those roles. Um, it, it's not that captivating a movie. But Sophie's Choice, amazing. Unfortunately, Out of Africa, I would say, is the worst movie for which she is nominated for an Oscar. It is incredibly boring. This is shocking because it won Best Picture in 1985. Here's trivia that doesn't matter. Klaus Maria Brandauer, who was nominated for a supporting actor. Iron Lady? Up there. I mean, the Iron Lady is at least bearably shorter. Mm. But um, about Klaus Maria Brandauer, the only supporting nominee ever to be nominated for playing a dual role. He plays brothers in that movie. But anyway, you are just waiting for an action scene in that movie. You're waiting for Meryl to interact with another goddamn lion or whatever, and you don't get it. I would actually argue that, I mean, I really do not like Bridges of Madison County, and that movie is never ending. It's way too long, and by the way, the kids in that movie, her kids, are the worst actors ever in a Meryl Streep movie. I am so sorry if you were listening to this, but you did a bad job. (laughs) It's not my fault. You know what is a shocking one I watched recently? Uh, Ironweed. I enjoyed I think it. She is amazing in that movie, and so yeah. is Jack Nicholson. There are only two movies, if I'm not mistaken, where if you add up the Oscar wins of the lead two performers, you get six. Can you name the other one? Because Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep, three plus three equals six. Can you name the other one? Girl, I don't know. Is it something's got to give? 
great guess. The answer is another Jack Nicholson Meryl Streep movie, which is Heartburn. Mm. Well, luckily, Michael will be getting to adaptation soon. I don't oh, know when. Adaptation slays. Yes. Yeah, adaptation is a good movie. And then well, I think if I were to do this, I would go backwards. I mean, I just, I don't know if I can bear. I'll watch the best picture one that you said out of Africa, even though it sounds to be boring. I want to see Into the Woods as soon as possible. So, and the devil wears Prada. You know what? Watch Music of the Heart. <laughs> that is a wacky movie with Meryl Streep from Wes Craven. Correct. Uh, and it has a banger um, song from it, Gloria Estefan and NSYNC called Music of the Heart. Which was nominated for an Academy <laughs> Award. Yes. Um, and also- I know you are laughing, Aida, but all of this actually happened. <laughs> Gloria Estefan, NSYNC, Wes Craven, Meryl Streep. terrified. All together, I have to watch one this. joint. Also, it's- Music of the Heart. It's worth noting that- so Meryl Streep is nominated for an Oscar for Music of the Heart. That role was originally for Madonna, who dropped out due to quote-unquote creative differences with Wes Craven. If you can turn a Madonna role into an Oscar-nominated role, what you deserve is the Nobel Prize. Whoa. So congrats Whoa. to Meryl for that. <laughs> and we have one last one from Catherine. Hey, y'all. This is Catherine in Austin. In terms of my culture consumption at this crazy time, I have two things to share. One, uh, so I'm in Austin, Texas, where Queer Eye is currently filming their new season, and some of the boys are quarantined here in the building with me. So that's been a fun little, you know, reprieve, and my dog is obsessed with JVN. So, you know, trying to social distance myself there, but it's hard. Uh, And number two, the content that I am currently in love with is Nashville. I thought it would be very tacky and a little, like, to Dynasty. Sorry, Ira. Um, but y'all, Connie Britton's hair in it is incredible. Hayden Pan, I don't know how to say her last name, is surprisingly delightful. It's hitting all the notes. It's trashy. It's fabulous. It's actually like surprisingly decent music, but Connie Britton's hair, it's what's going to get us through this time. Okay, thanks so much. Um, hope everyone stays healthy. Bye. That woman sounded way too smart not to know how to pronounce Panettiere, but I'll allow it. Yeah, I was so confused. Also... While you busy dragging Dynasty, Nashville has two good seasons, so enjoy three through six. Look, and this woman said sorry to you, and you still came for her. Like, what can we do to be safe out here? <laughs> Nothing. She said sorry. <laughs> me and Dynasty, me and the Keratons were thick as thieves. <laughs> I also love how she was. She sort of confided in us that it's hard for her not to, I guess, attack the members of Queer Eye. They're just yeah. lingering around her. I mean, she should let her dog loose on a couple. <laughs> Stop. I'm not mentioning any names, Aida. You don't even know who I'm talking about. <laughs> and hey, look, I'm not mentioning any names, neither, okay? Also, it's notable about the show Nashville. That's the only <laughs> other credit I know of the actress Judith Hogue, who is... April in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, and I constantly think about her because in that movie she was, and she played like a hard-bitten reporter, she was 22 years old. It is very shocking. Mm, Yes. Um, All Girl Fridays should be 22 years old. Oh, you think that should be a law? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Roz Russell, constantly 57 in everything (laughs) she ever did. Anyway, I'm sorry for coming for you for Nashville. Enjoy it. (laughs) It's lovely for a bit. Until it isn't. And uh, watch, I thought she was about to say Robert Altman's Nashville, too. Which, by the way, would have been crazy if she did, because that means we have mentioned three of the four movies in which actresses were nominated for Best Supporting Actress in 1975, which are Farewell, My Lovely, Shampoo, 
and Nashville. Only one other one, which is Jacqueline Suzanne's Once Is Not Enough, which is terrible. We don't have to bring it up, but now we have. Let's pretend we didn't. Uh, <laughs> when we're back, we're going to dive into this Fiona Apple interview. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. On Monday morning, the New Yorker gave us a brief respite from the all-consuming COVID in the form of a long-form interview with Fiona Apple ahead of the release of her new album, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Written by Emily Nussbaum, the interview touched on her early success, the state of her mental health then and now, the toll of her public relationships, and featured a number of her closest friends. Uh, I found it extraordinary but not like, mechanical yeah yes. not, not mechanical or uh, machine machinery anyway that was an extraordinary machine joke about yeah obviously we're going to talk about a lot of the people who are mentioned in the profile as well you know from king princess to jeffrey epstein woody allen paul thomas anderson louis ck but first uh what did we all think of the profile I mean, I love reading. I, I was just talking earlier about how there's something about letting one very well-spoken, very individualistic person talk and talk, a celebrity we all trust, just go off. And for that reason, I was super invested. I just find her fascinating anyway. Her career is so fascinating because for one thing, if you're looking at just the album, she really has had a flawless run. I mean, her music is distinct. It's singer-songwriterly while also being bluesy while also being confessional. She has a one-of-a-kind voice. I've loved her ever since Tidal. She's obviously had something of a renaissance recently because Criminal was so prominently featured in the movie Hustlers. Mm -hmm. I love the song Fast As You Can. J-Lo's impact. Quite, quite. So I just, and, and I, I was so rooting for her during that time when her record label wouldn't put out her album and then finally she got Extraordinary Machine out and people were fucking obsessed with it. Just what a cosmic poetic justice that was yeah. so to hear from her now at a surprise moment when i didn't expect to hear from fiona apple is exactly why it feels so medicinal i find her so one of a kind and also hilarious i love when people just yes. by the way are also hilarious i think lewis you really covered everything that i really felt about this i hadn't thought about fiona apple in so long so to hear her, she would of all people be the person to pop up in it during a pandemic and be the most warming and comforting force that i exposed myself to in a while everything she does is poetic she's kind of just like a poetic person but but aware and kind of like self-aware and can joke about that but her lyrics I remember the first time as a kid when I heard Shadow Boxer and I was just not the same <laughs> I was not the same after that I really Fiona Apple is one of the best artists of all time I would fight anyone who says otherwise no I really uh enjoy title but i didn't really discover fiona apple until college um when surprisingly it was like the black 
theater kids at Loyola like were listening to Extraordinary Machine, and I was like, I had knew Criminal, you know, and I had known um, Shadowboxer as well, um, and like a couple other songs um, from um, Win the Pawn, uh, but that I was just like, this is an album. Correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. I have some memory of Kanye West saying he considered Fiona Apple one of his biggest influences. I think she's one of those people who we feel like hits the demo that you know all '90s chick music only hits, which is to say me. But I think her impact is way more far-reaching than people uh, give her credit for. Yeah, Kanye West had said that Fiona Apple "Sleep to Dream" from Title um, was his favorite opening line to a song ever, um, and the line is. I tell you how I feel, but you don't care. I say, tell me the truth, but you don't dare. You say love is a hell you cannot bear. And I say, give me mine back and then go there for all I care. The lyrics. She's here. I fucking here. love her. Um, and I was re- this obviously made me start re-listening to some of the music. Uh, and I was really listening to another song of mine that's very underrated, Daredevil. Uh, yes. From her mm-hmm. last album. And... Um, She's really just a sort of, use this word already, visceral songwriter who um, sort of goes there with the content in the way that you want artists yeah. to. Um, you want you expect like novelists, playwrights, you know, to to go to this level. Um, stand-up comedians, which is so interesting that she had so much to say about Louis C.K. She had basically said that after all of Louis' um, scandal came out, you know, uh, about his um, sexual harassment of women, other comics, et cetera, she thought that someone as smart as him would be able to be self-reflective and sort of uh, really um, mine the sort of darker parts of his psyche to address how he had been abusive. Unfortunately... Uh, she realized that Louis C.K. wasn't capable of more severe self-scrutiny and that he's useless. As she says, I shake when I have to think and write about myself. It's scary to go there, but I go there. He is so weak. I love that because it's so, um, I-, I think, true to her experience. When you listen to her music, it, do- it does feel like an exorcism of some kind, you mm-hmm. know, like actually... Mining things that are uncomfortable and deliberately so. So young on the album title, and I I loved the part where Amy Mann talked about how it felt revelatory seeing someone so young talk about um, being raped, just like in her lyrics, and like how the profile draws a direct line to how um, other women in music feel comfortable doing that now. Mm -hmm. And I I think Tori Amos deserves um, credit for going there as well on her first album. Little earthquakes, but and by the way, I just want to say also about Tori Amos, another person like Fiona Apple. Watch every interview they've ever done you, because you are introduced to somebody who is not like anybody else, not trying to be quirky in any way, and you slowly realize you could not have made this person up, and they are brilliant and they are bizarre, and and for that reason, you constantly are in awe of them when they when they speak or when they perform. Yeah, she had this um great uh, interview with David Marchese and Vulture, I think, like 2017. Yeah. Even for me, you know, 
as all of us, as people who care about comedy and kind of the art of it, however, you know, narcissistic that may sound, I expected more from Louis C.K. as well. And I it opens up that conversation of redemption and where men can be redeemed if they're willing to go and do the work, like if they're willing to delve within themselves. Of course, it only would be redemption to a certain degree, but I think that everything that she said about him and what the work that he needed to be doing was entirely fair. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it so much on the show, the idea of men like Louis C.K., even for someone whose transgressions weren't as severe and um, prolific in numbers as in Aziz Ansari. You know, um, the the Mm -hmm. fact that when they were confronted with their transgressions, they just sort of were flippant about it. And so much of their comedy was you're actually the problem for caring about this. It's stupid that I even have to address this. It was just talking about the idea that for a real artist, like if something truly painful has happened to you, you mind that for your art. And if you've done something truly painful to someone else, I would assume you would mind that as well. It just also calls to mind how much conversations of cancel culture, et cetera, are smoke screens. How much they, I, they're not productive mm-hmm. and they cloud the real traumas people have and they cloud what is so disturbing about the the facts of these transgressions you know how how much we aren't discussing the things that could actually help us make us move forward right you talked about the dixie chicks last week and it's like that's real cancel culture right like essentially canceling three women for saying that bush is a liar right 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 and now, who thinks of him in any other context? You know yeah. what I mean? So. Yeah. But we have to talk about this quote she threw down regarding Paul Thomas Anderson, her former paramour, yes. and <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. I'm still laughing. I'm still laughing. I'm still laughing. <laughs> um, so, for those of you who don't know, Fiona Apple had a three-year relationship with Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, and it, it's so weird to remember this now, just because I only think of PTA in the context of Maya Rudolph. Right. I'm assuming that he is obviously a much different person now, because uh, I can't imagine Maya Rudolph putting up with that nonsense. But um, Fiona Apple says that in their relationship, he was coldly critical and contemptuous. And she described the fact that she and Anderson would recreationally use cocaine and ecstasy, but a night that was excruciating where they (laughs) hung out with Tarantino resulted in her quitting coke. Basically, she was in Tarantino's house listening to him and... Uh, PTA brag in uh, a private movie theater. She said every addict should just get locked in a private movie theater with Quentin Tarantino and PTA on coke and they'll never want to do it again. (laughs) Truly the most vivid image Um, I have ever heard this year. You can picture how fast they are speaking to each other, probably referencing things like spaghetti westerns. (laughs) Yes. The lips moving. I can see wet, sweaty tendrils of hair just moving all over. I hate this image. I hate it. I hate it. Because he truly talks like the Roadrunner without the aid of drugs, I feel like. And just like him on, okay, must be like, get me out of here. Right. He's the cokiest celebrity we have, and it might have nothing to do with drugs. Yeah. (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, only because Cokie Roberts is gone, RIP. Right. Yeah. She did have the mantle for a little while. Yes. (laughs) 
Also, I'd be curious to find out what night this happened. Like, what movie had they just released? Where are they at in their journey, their Hollywood journey that is putting them in a place where they can speak like this? Right. And also, you can just hear how ignored in the conversation Fiona Apple must have been as those two people cackled at each other about whatever the career of Pam Greer or whatever about they were currently obsessed Fellini. with. Yeah. Fellini. Fellini or Fellini, something. yes, right. <laughs> they broke up in the early 2000s, so I would assume that it was like pre-Kill Bill era. Quentin Tarantino. Okay. Yeah. Um, but definitely Jackie Brown uh, had, had been out already. So he, w- he was in the pop culture at the moment. Gotcha. Unfortunately, I do think we have to film a dramatization of this entire scene because I would watch it. It doesn't yeah. have to be long. Four minutes, five minutes. <laughs> Funny or yeah, die, get on it. Have to be in it. That is going to be my um, off-Broadway debut. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that night. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't put it past you. Or Jeremy O'Harris. I'm sure <laughs> I could see it happening. I know, right? He's, he's probably already texting Fiona Apple, let me write it. Let me write it. <laughs> and she's like, Jeremy, stop texting me. How did you get this number? <laughs> I also love her talking about her contemporaries, you know, people like King Princess. Uh, she's basically secluded in uh, Venice Beach. I mean, she's already self-isolating. <laughs> um, but yeah. she doesn't seem like out of touch with anything you know she just seems like she is very aware of everything that's happening in the world but like just choosing to live a tranquil moment i forget sometimes how much i require celebrities to announce which other celebrities they hang out with to kind of confirm that they're cool like when Kristen davis and cynthia nixon post photos together i'm like okay they're really cool people they're like friends still etc so when i hear that celebrities still hang out I'm mindful of that. And then I start thinking about who's left out. Like it seemed like Helena Bonham Carter didn't really hang out with the rest of the Ocean's 8 cast. These are things I worry about. Mm -hmm. The wall at your home is just filled with all their photos and yarn and you're trying to figure out (laughs) your spend's time with who. They Uh, all love Sarah Paulson. Yes. (laughs) Uh, If there's one last thing I could mention in this interview, uh, two really uh, interesting things. One, I love that the title Fetch the Bolt Cutters comes from The Fall. Um, that Jillian Anderson. Really? Uh, yes, it's a line oh, that yeah, Jillian yeah, Anderson yeah. says in um, early episode of The Fall, which is iconic. I love that series. Irish drama, Jamie Dornan. If, I mean, if Jamie you're looking Dornan, to re- if you're looking to redeem Jamie Dornan after the Fifty Shades franchise, you got to go see The Fall. Well, he's so hot in The Fall because he has a beard, and they make him shave it and wear those ugly denim jeans all the time in Fifty Shades of Grey. And he's just so unsexy in it. Um, also. There is a depiction of Fiona's relationship with her ex-boyfriend in the profile, which is just so mesmerizing to me, just witnessing like her interacting with an ex and the way that Emily Nussbaum sort of is able to pick up on why they loved each other, but also why they are no longer together is um, beautiful writing. Anyway, um, I think I finally need to get Emily Nussbaum's book, I Like to Watch. Oh, yes. I yes. just love her in general. She's I a, love such her. a warm Twitter presence. I love her writing. See, it was her Twitter presence that made me not want to read the book because I feel like she is so extra on Twitter. And I was like, I love your writing. And that's one person I was like, just write. You're, on t- you're doing the most on Twitter. I'm just mm-hmm. always so surprised when somebody who is clearly brilliant likes Twitter. I find yeah. it validating because the rest of us is just, you know, scrubs making our Timothy Chalamet Sheep jokes. posting. Yeah. And just mm-hmm. posting anything. Yeah. Well, not me. 
Oh, that's right. Well, You're gone yeah, still. She's gone still. Are you still. coming back? I have felt the urge to come back It now that I'm just like in my home <laughs> doing nothing. But I'm like, now is actually the time when I should be fucking doing work. So uh, Focusing it, would be, on other it, would, stuff. it would be pointless for me to come back now when I have so much more free time. Yeah. When we're ready, we'll it. send for yeah. you. Yeah. I'm proud of you. <laughs> when I mean, you Lewis need and I are going to secretly take bets out. We're going to secretly take bets out, but otherwise I'm proud of you. <laughs> when you need me back on Twitter, just put up the iris signal. <laughs> I've never been angrier. Go on. <laughs> when we're back, keep it. We are back with the Keep It segment, our favorite of the episode as usual. Aida, what is your Keep It this week? Hi, Ira. Hi, Louis. First time caller, long time listener. Uh-huh. Um, my <laughs> Keep It this week goes to, and this is hard because one of our Wiley callers decided to take my Keep It today. So I'm scrambling to find a new thing to be mad about. But um, luckily, we're in the end times, so I'm always on edge. Concerning the coronavirus, I think... My keep it goes to, you know what really had me uneasy? It's not the quarantining and it's not the social distancing. That I can get past. It's the new coronavirus marketing advertisements I'm seeing from large corporations that they're trying like to appeal to us while our defenses are down. And this was the first moment that life kind of felt like Orwellian. Like I was trapped in like a, like Anthem. Like I was trapped in an Ayn, Ayn Rand book. But, um... Domino's had a commercial where they literally open up and there's it goes don't freak out because they know that we're all in a state of disarray that they can capitalize on they're doing half off pizzas and free delivery and you know doing what they would do as a corporation who is struggling right now but it feels so eerie oh word Yuck. though Domino's is half off it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, heard. It feels so icky, and it may I'm more more so icky that like I really want to order Domino's pizza, but I'm by myself in an apartment, so I'll have to eat it alone. I love it. Domino's. Okay. Well, maybe this is for you, Ira. Listen, they're appealing I, to you. I know New York pizza is the best. Obviously, I'm not dumb, um, and Chicago pizza is lit too. However, yes, Domino's just hits that fucking spot. They are consistent. Yeah. Also, I will say the promotions you get from any whatever uh, catalog you've ever signed up for about how their stores are closing now, and they and uh, some company CEO is writing you an email, a promotional email that ends with always something along the lines of "We're monitoring this situation closely." Girl, you're not in the lab. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't tell me what's happening at the Pier One Petri Dish Station. Cooking in the lab. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Lewis. What is your keep it? My keep it is to something that, unfortunately, I will keep doing, but it is a keep it to working out at home. Uh, Have you ever sweat profusely in your own house? It sucks, particularly if it's your now jail that you live in, and then later you have to smell it the entire time with and then treat it with more Lysol wipes that you're already trying to conserve. Um, I'll say this. I'm somebody who routinely works out in a situation where... LA models scream at me to do work. I prefer feeling like I'm doing minimum wage work for people who won the genetic lottery. That's how I gain a better body, you know? So mm-hmm. what happens now is you download, say, an app that helps you work out at home and you do body weight push ups, et cetera, off of furniture. 
One, that is just demoralizing anyway. Like the couch you were just writing, whatever, your your, uh, Oscar-winning screenplay on, you now are gyrating at. Like, (laughs) it's 1981 and Jane Fonda just taught you you have hip flexors. Um, It's so crazy to spend an hour manually exhausting yourself with nothing around you encouraging you. Nobody else working out, no other equipment you want to try, just you and your own body being exhausted. It is somehow humiliating to realize how hard you have to work on your own in order to get um, a tolerable workout. And it's like, it, yet there's no other option. Every gym is closed, at, rightfully so. They should be closed. But I cannot stand having to sweat where I live. It is a gross feeling. Mm-hmm. And if anybody has any other solution besides, uh, not that there is a solution. It just sucks. It sucks. This is a sucky situation. And this is among the most annoying parts of it for me. I have tried to work out at home too. And it is very stressful. So yeah. I get it. And it's hard to keep going also, too. Also, my floors are concrete. So that's just not comfortable. Ooh. Especially in like a smaller, smallish apartment. I mean, we're all in LA. We don't have that much space. Like, it's just, I don't want to be near my resting area while I'm not resting. I actually have a lot of space in my home, Aida. Okay. Okay, flex, (laughs) flex, girl. Flex. So I'm coming to stay with you then. Okay. Uh, Not with you uh, dying of uh, consumption over there. Yeah. So my keep it this week is to... Carrie Hilson. <laughs> oh, yes. Now, oh, yes. We all remember Carrie Hilson, nemesis of the Beehive, one time um, R&B singer and songwriter who wrote a lot of really good hits and then just sort of decided to say that she thought Beyonce was trash and then <laughs> just sort of derailed her career, <laughs> to be honest. Um, <laughs> you should be able to speak freely in society, but, you know, not about religious institutions like say, the Beehive. Don't be wrong. Yes. Um, yeah. People sh- need to know, though, by the way, that once upon a time, you could not avoid the song Knock You Down. It was on all the time. It yes. was the only song that occurred <laughs> for the latter half of 2009, I swear to you. <laughs> Carrie Hilson hopped on Twitter recently to explain her conspiracy theory about how the proliferation of COVID-19 is linked to 5G wireless technology. Mm. <laughs> now I get it. People have been trying to warn us about 5G for years. Petitions, organizations, studies. What we're going through is the effects of radiation. Why do you think the virus is not happening in Africa like that? They don't have any technology whatsoever <laughs> over there. All of Africa. Does she... Also, okay, I had thought Terrence Howard was the ceiling for crazy <laughs> ideas, and she just went and got on a trampoline and jumped into the splits over him. I was, one, so shocked that she had tweeted this because I distinctly remember that her Facebook page seemed to have been taken over just by um, ads for years. Like, her Facebook page was always sharing, like, weird, like, fat diets or other sort of like spammy sort of ad things. I was like, I was like, she is no longer in control of her social media. Mm -hmm. But these tweets were wild. And then she deleted them and wrote, management has asked me to delete articles and videos. I appreciate good discourse on unconventional thinking. Let's all just be safe out there because whatever the cause, the virus is a real thing. Wow. I'm so glad they let her near a dial-up modem to go and post that. (laughs) 
not 5G serving that up. We, we barely even have 5G in the U.S. <laughs> she is a lunatic. <laughs> Where did she get that idea? I mean, I don't even want to know. There are plenty of places she could have gotten that idea. Yeah. Carrie Hilson's InfoWars. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> speaking of, my, I have one other keep it to the introverts of social media. Mm-hmm. Far be it for me to attack them. But I am seeing far too many people. With, you know, obviously, yes, everyone stay home, et cetera. You know, um, we came in to record this podcast safely. Um, but, like, you should not be out congregating with tons of people. Um, yeah. And still being at bars and restaurants, like, if they happen to be open where you are. But there are some people who are having this sort of giddy, smug self-satisfaction of, enjoying staying at home and being like, it's not that hard to stay home, do this, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm largely seeing it from people who never leave their fucking home in the first place. Oh, I see. On my timeline. So it's like, of course you were having a great time in self-quarantine. You're basically self-quarantined. You don't leave home. Precisely. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you have I, no social life. I, I struggle to do this new life. So, I mean, first of all, don't make fun of me. I'll cry. Yeah. I'm someone who tends to stay home. And I still think that, like, you're right. That's very indignant. It's bullshit to be. Just recognize the, the introvert privilege you have. Please. There are a lot of people who are a part of canceling plans Twitter. Mm-hmm. who are like extolling the virtues of staying at home. It's like, yeah, we know you're always home. And by the way, they're always spelling canceling with two L's. Guys, wake up. It's one. Anyway, <gasps> it's hard to stay home. Yeah, I want to be free. I'm a dancer. <laughs> a dancer dances. <laughs> I'm not going to investigate that comment or what yeah, you could possibly um... mean by it, but I will believe you. <laughs> it's from Chorus Line. No, I know. Yes. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> That's our show. Whatever, whatever. Looks ten, jokes three. That's what I have to say. <laughs> yep. Looks ten. Oh. <laughs> you get that, Lewis. That's this nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> right. Think of the latter half of what I said. That we should focus on that. <laughs> yeah. Let me really nope, stress. No. Didn't the hear anything part. else. Didn't hear anything else. Um. What an episode this was. I hope that something changes soon because. What else are we going to be talking about next week? I know. Thanks, you guys, for bearing with us, too. We're, yeah. we're super excited to get voice memos from you and hear what you're talking about. I hope we revisit that next week, too. I mean, we probably will. We ain't going nowhere. That's true. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess, the one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian, for filming and editing our video content every week. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff, like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.